turn to Luke chapter 15 and Mark 7, all right? Those are two passages we're going to go to today. If you're new here, we're going to go through lots of Scripture, but we always like to turn to at least two Scriptures and be able to look at those in our Bibles. And I do want to encourage you to continue to bring your Bibles to church. Luke 15 and Mark 7. And while you're turning, let me just remind you, if you did not sign up for the business seminar in November with Steve Doolin, you need to sign up for it. Steve Doolin is, uh, has the most amazing insight in the area of operating Christian business of any person that I've ever met in my life. He's gone through the Bible 20 or 25 times studying just business. If you own a business, if you ever want to own your own business, if you work for a business, if you've ever visited a business, or if you've ever used the word business, then you ought to go to the business seminar. And I really mean that because uh, of the insight that you'll get. There's a small registration fee. Some people want to know, well, what's the registration? Does it go to Steve? No, not at all. It goes to the poor and needy. Steve really felt like that you ought to invest something and you ought to sow. And if you can't afford it, come anyway. That doesn't matter. But if you can and you're in business or you want to own your own business one day, you need to come to that, okay? All right. We're in a series entitled Welcome Home, and it's based on the prodigal son. And last week we talked about why leave home. Why would a believer ever leave home? Did the message help you some last week, give you some insight and understanding? All right, this week we're going to talk about how to come home. If you've left home in any area of your life, and remember the word prodigal means without restraint. So if you're living in an area of your life, or there's an area of your life where you have a difficulty restraining that area of your life, you may be prodigal in that area. How do you come home, all right? Luke 15, let me get there too, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, living without restraint. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17 is a key. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, how did the prodigal son finally come home? Well, there's three things I want to show you, all right? Number one, come clean in your heart. Come clean in your heart. There's this little phrase in verse 17 that says, when he came to himself. Let me say it another way. When he got honest with himself. And some people have noted that he repented on his own and that he didn't get caught. A lot of people say, well, you know how to tell the person really repents. Did he get caught or, you know, did he confess or did he have to confess? Well, Well, let me just tell you something about that. Everybody gets caught. And the prodigal son did get caught. He ran out of money, and he got caught by circumstances. Sin will always catch you. Always. So don't say, well, I heard about this person that was involved in sin. But, you know, he didn't confess on his own. He got caught. 
Everybody gets caught. The point is, do you change your heart when you get caught? So come clean in your heart. Now, let me tell you some things about the heart. Matter of fact, I'm going to read you some scriptures that the Bible says that describes your heart. Let me just warn you right now, it's not very flattering. The Bible does not have a lot of good things to say about our hearts. Let me just show you a few scriptures. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. <laughs> above all things. There's nothing as deceitful as the heart. And desperately wicked. Genesis 8:21. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although... The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's what God, that's what he said about your heart. The thoughts of your heart, and remember the heart can think. The imaginations of man's heart, they're just evil. Matthew 15, this is New Testament now, verse 19. This is what Jesus said about the heart. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. See again, your, your heart can think. Murders, adulteries, fornications thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. That's not good news, is it? That's your heart. So if that's the heart, what's the answer? Well, it's really, really simple. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I'll give you a new heart. The one you've got's bad. You need a heart transplant. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is what we talked about last week, that our spirit becomes new at salvation. And I will take the heart of stone, that would be a hard heart, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, that would be a soft, pliable heart. See, we are born with a bad heart. We're born with a sinful heart. And what we need is we need an experience with God, an encounter with God, salvation, where God gives us a new heart. Now, let me, let me tell you what the, your heart is. Many theologians believe it's a combination of the soul and the spirit. That probably explains many of these scriptures as we talked last week, that there's a battle between the spirit and soul, that we have a new heart, but we're born with a bad heart or an old heart, and God has to give us a new heart. But the heart, the best way to describe it, I believe, is the seat of desire. Now, many, again, describe it as the seat of the conscience, and that's probably true as well. But I want you to think about it this way, the seat of the desire. Here's the reason I want you to understand that. Because the soul, we talked about last week, is selfish and tries to tell us, this is what you really want. But I want you to know something. Once you become a believer, your new heart is who you really are. You really are a new person, and God gives you new desires. See, I had no desire at all to serve God before I got saved. But once I got saved, I had a desire to serve God. Now, I still have to grow. I have to go through freedom ministry. I have to understand some things because I still, that soul still wants to be in charge. But I have a new heart. Your heart is who you really are. But you need to understand something. Even as a believer, see the prodigal represents a believer that leaves home. Even as a believer, you have to guard your heart. The New Testament tells us explicitly, guard your heart. Let me tell you why you have to guard your heart. Because your heart can get cold, a believer's heart. Your heart can get hard. As a matter of fact, let me just show you a few scriptures about believer's hearts. Romans 1.21 says, because although they knew God. Now, let's just make sure we understand this. Does this say they knew God? Okay. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. That's the battle in the soul we were talking about. So their foolish hearts were darkened. Your heart can be darkened as a believer. 
Hebrews 3.8, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews written to believers, your heart can be hardened. James 1.26, if anyone among you, among you, he's writing to people that are believers, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. It's possible to deceive your heart. Now, let me tell you why that's important. I'm going to sum it up in one verse. Proverbs 23.7, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. If you don't guard your heart, your heart will lead you astray, even as a believer. We have to guard our heart. This is all a part of renewing our minds. It's all a part of our souls, of converting our souls, of our souls conforming to the image of Christ and being transformed to that and not being conformed to the world. That's what it's for. So, the first thing you have to do, if you're going, if you're, if you're prodigal in any area of your life, you're going to have to get honest in your heart. You're going to have to do exactly what the prodigal son did. You're going to have to come home in your heart. All right? Here's the second thing that you have to do. Come clean with the Father. Come clean with the Father. I think that because of our sin, we get to the place where we don't keep going to the Father. We have some sin in our life that is like a besetting sin. Hebrews says, let's lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. And the problem is, if we have a besetting sin, a sin that we fall to over and over and over again, we don't want to go to the Father. We're afraid that one day His grace is going to run out. That's what our soul tells us. One day we're going to go to God, and we're going to say, Lord, I just need to confess to you again. And He's going to say, again? I mean, you you just confessed this last week. And the week before, and the week before that, and you told me now 7,832 times that you're never going to do it again. That's it. Everybody out of the pool. <laughs> That's kind of what we think is going to happen one day. But you need to understand something. God's grace will never run out. All of your sins have already been nailed to the cross. Do you know that there are some pastors that do not want to make the statement that your future sins are already paid for? Because they say, you know, that just, then the believers, they'll just go into sin. Well, it is so ridiculous if you don't think your future sins are paid for, because do you think Jesus is going to come and die again? It's clear he died once for all. Once for all. All of our sins are paid for. This is a bad analogy, but it's kind of like saying that you you wrecked the car and you're afraid to go tell dad you wrecked the car. But you need to understand something about our dad. He owns every car in the world. And he doesn't care about the wrecked car. He cares about you. Did you notice the response of the father? We didn't go on and read this, but the father, when the prodigal son came home, and please read the, the, the story of the prodigal son in your quiet time this week. The father did not say, where have you been? What'd you do? What'd you do with the money? Nothing. Here's what he said. My son, who's been lost, has been found again. Listen, I'm telling you, the father doesn't care about the money that was lost. He cares about his son. Are y'all following me? 1 John 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we'll confess our sin, if we'll confess, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm telling you, if you're going to come home, you're going to have to get honest with yourself. You're going to have to get honest with God. You're going to have to come clean in your heart. 
And you're going to have to come clean with the Father. And here's the third thing. You're going to have to come clean from the pigs. Now, this is something I really want to talk about for a minute. Let's just think about it in the natural. This son had been in a pig pen, a natural pig pen. Do you think that he was dirty in the natural? you think he was dirty? I think he was. I don't know if you know what a pig pen looks like. Most of us don't because we think of uh, our rooms because our mother used to tell us that that's what it looked like. But that's not a real pig pen. Pig pen is, is sloppy, muddy, very dirty. He's in the pig pen, all right, and he comes home. Now, if you go on and read the story, you find out that they threw a party for him. Okay? Now, the Bible doesn't say what I'm about to ask you, but we're going to use our holy imagination now. I want to ask you a very practical question. They had a party and had all his friends over. Do you think that he took a bath before the party? Yes. And I'll tell you another reason I think so. If you notice the story, there's one person that's absent from the story. The mother. You know where she is? She's drawing the bath. He comes home, the father says, oh, it's so good that you see it. The mother comes, oh, good, oh, you're going to have to have a bath. Because <laughs> women think about those things. Men don't think about those things. I have uh, two boys and a, and a daughter. And uh, let me just tell you about my two sons. My oldest son uh, never liked to get dirty. He would be outside playing in the yard as a little boy, and he would come in and wash his hands and go back outside. If his hands got a little bit dirty, he'd come in, wash his hands, go back outside. Never had to tell him to take a bath. Never had to tell him to wash up for dinner because he did not like to be dirty. I have another son. He would come in and sit down at the table covered with mud. Leave a trail coming in. Mud on his face, hair, caked on his hands. He would sit down to eat dinner and not have a clue that he looked different from the rest of the family. Not a clue. He's still uh, a little unique. Just a few months ago, he got in his truck after work and from the weekend and drove to Galveston and parked on the beach and slept in the back of his truck. Just slept in the back of his truck. And then drove home. I said to him, did you at least take a sleeping bag? You know what he said? Our forefathers didn't have sleeping bags, Dad. (laughs) He's just different. And dirt has never bothered him. Never. Now he does bathe now, so he is single, so I need to put that out. Let let you know. He does bathe now. (laughs) My daughter said to me, you just ruined every chance we ever had of getting him out of the house, Dad. Let me tell him that story. But the thing was, he didn't know. Now, listen to me. He's part of the family. He's a son. But he had dirt all over him. But he's a son. Okay, now we talked about physically this prodigal son had dirt on him. But wait a minute. What about spiritually? Do you think that he was affected any by the sin that he was involved in? I want you to think about this. Was he affected by the excessive drinking that he did? Sure he was. Was he affected by the immorality he was involved in? Sure. Did he need a bath spiritually also? See, again, we talked about the spirit and soul last week. Now follow me. I'm about to give you some incredible insight. The spirit is washed by the blood. 
The soul is washed by the word. The spirit is cleansed instantly. The soul is cleansed progressively. Are you following me? And I said a mouthful there, if you'll understand this with me. Even though you're a believer, all of your sins have been forgiven. You're on your way to heaven by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's by grace in your spirit. Your soul, though, is being cleansed. Your soul has been in the pig pen, and it needs to come clean from the pigs. Do you remember, by the way, what happened when Jesus confronted the gathering demoniac? Do you remember what he did with legions of demons where he told them to go? (laughs) Into the pigs. We've got to understand that believers can be affected by the demonic. Let me just give you five. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. If you're not, you can get the tape later. Let me give you five open doors to the demonic for a believer's life. Number one, emotional hurts and wounds. Emotional hurts and wounds. This is how demons get in. Another one is deep-rooted lies. This summer, we talked about how I had a lie in the area of being accident-prone. Deep-rooted lies. Number three, generational curses and iniquities. Generational curses and iniquities. Alcoholism in a family. Divorce in a family. Adultery in a family. Generational curses and iniquities. Number four, bitterness and unforgiveness. Bitterness and unforgiveness. Do you know Matthew 18 says very, very clearly, and it's talking about a believer, someone who's been forgiven of all of his sin, will be turned over to tormentors if he doesn't forgive. Now, what do you think tormentors are? And number five, habitual sin. Habitual sin. These are five areas that open the door to the demonic. Now, let me just tell you something. There's a doctrine going around that believers cannot be bothered by demons. Well, that's incredible to me that anybody would ever believe it. Once you get saved, demons can't bother you anymore. Well, it would be wonderful if that were true. You know, what's amazing to me is, one of the things is, well, the Lord lives in me, God lives in me, and a demon can't live where God lives. Ever heard that? Well, God lives everywhere. Is God omnipresent? Okay, well, if a demon can't live where God lives, a demon can't live. It's just crazy, some of the things going around. Because Satan wants you to, to believe, listen, you're untouchable now. You're not untouchable. Why in the world would he tell you to put on armor if you weren't in a battle? And if you were untouchable, why would you need a shield? Man, that was good. I just thought of that. That's for the next uh, shield. Golly, Lord, you're good. Okay. Now... Before we get to Mark 7, there's biblical language that you will not understand Mark 7 if you don't understand this. Okay? So let me show it to you. So I'm going to get to Mark 7 in a minute. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. Now this city is heaven. Revelation 22 is talking about the new city of heaven. Okay? So this is talking about people who, who, who are going to go to heaven. Verse 15, but outside, outside of the city, outside of heaven, are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices life. These are people who don't go to heaven. These are the unredeemed, the unrepentant. All right. But I want you to notice the first part of verse 15 because there's a, a symbol, a type in there that we just read right over. Verse 15 says outside the city are dogs, dogs. Okay, outside of the pearly gates are chihuahuas, poodles, labs, because the Bible says outside are dogs. 
Do you think that's what that's talking about? Do you think they're literal dogs? You know, dogs can't get into heaven, but you can go feed them through the gate and, you know, maybe you're... And so I guess outside the gate are fire hydrants. Okay. You think they're still not literal dogs? No. It's a, it's, a, it's, a rep, it's a type. It's a symbol in the Bible. What's it a type for? It's simple. Lost people. Dogs represent lost people. Let me show you another scripture. Philippians 3 verse 2. Paul said, beware of dogs. Beware of evil. Beware of dogs. Now, the reason Paul wrote this is he was out on visitation one time and he got bitten by a dog. And so he wrote, beware of dogs. Matter of fact, this is where the sign comes from. Beware of dogs. Right here in the Bible. You think he's talking about literal dogs? No. Matter of fact, he goes on to say, beware of the false circumcision. Those who are circumcised in the flesh, but not in the heart. Lost people. Okay? Dogs represent lost people. Now, why am I saying that? Because in Mark 7, something happens. And if you don't know what dogs represent, you'll never understand it. All right, now look at Mark 7, verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Okay, if we were to sum up in one word what she was asking for... Couldn't we use the word deliverance? She's asking for deliverance for her daughter, right? Okay. Watch Jesus' response. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Okay. If we don't understand biblical language, that seems rude to me. For instance, if I said after the sermon today, hey, does anyone have a question about the sermon? And a lady raised her hand and said, yes, I have a question. I said, uh, lady, I don't want to talk to dogs. Anyone else got a question? Would, would that seem rude to you? Okay. Do you think Jesus is a rude person? No. So he wasn't calling this woman a dog in a rude way. He was saying, he was expressing, by the way, he goes on and casts a demon out of her daughter. Because, by the way, her, the, she says... Yes, but Lord, she believes. She becomes a believer right then. But Lord, she believes in him. But why would he even make this statement? He makes this statement because he's trying to teach us something. Now listen very carefully. What do dogs represent again in the Bible? Okay, here's a person that comes and asks for deliverance. And here's what he says. Listen to what he says. It's not for lost people. Deliverance is not for lost people. It's for the children. Okay, here's my question for you. If the children, the believers, can't have demons, why did Jesus say that deliverance is for the children? That was good. Deliverance is the children's bread. It's for us. See, listen, lost people can't get healed emotionally. Lost people can't get set free. That's for, that's, that's for people that come to Jesus. All those are benefits of salvation. When you come to Jesus, you can get your broken heart healed. When you come to Jesus, you can get set free from your bondages. But you got to come to Jesus. So I just want you to understand that if you're a believer here today, but you have a bondage that's holding you and you can't get free from it, you may need some help. If I were to sum up these three points in different words, I'd say it this way. Get honest with yourself, get honest with God, and get honest with your brothers and sisters that can help you get free. 
Let me say it again. Get honest with yourself because you'll never get free if you keep deceiving yourself. Get honest with yourself. Get honest with God. And then get honest with some folks that can help you get free. Freedom ministry on Monday nights. You need to come. If you haven't come, you need to come. I want every person that attends Gateway Church to go through freedom ministry. Do you want to know why? Because every person needs freedom. I don't care where you grew up. You could say, yeah, but I got saved at five. I'm telling you, if you walk in this world, you're going to get dirt. And you need freedom. And freedom is for the children. This son was a son. You're a son. You're a daughter. Freedom ministry is for you. We need to write a song about Monday nights at Gateway Church. And I'm hoping that thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and I hope people from all over the metroplex start coming to freedom ministry. Because I'm telling you, I'm tired of seeing Christians in bondage. And we can get free. If you need to come home, you're going to have to come clean in your heart. You're going to have to come clean with the Father. And you're going to have to come clean from the pigs. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.